about a lifetime partner, a soulmate. Okay, but before we do, did you hear it? Deborah, Denise's song, the vocals, the words. Did you hear? You sure? Giving honor and praise unto God. Oh, you thought it was about giving honor and praise unto you. You or you. Go back and listen to the words. We're talking about a genuine relationship. You know we are. So you went by a pond of water. You did. You were in the right relationship with God. You didn't hear me say right relationship with me or you or you. Or you, irrespective of your skin tone, gender, age, zip code, title, lack thereof. You ask God to send you a a lifetime partner, a soulmate. And you didn't have to keep going out there and crying and shedding tears. And you didn't have to go through 99 individuals just to find the one. You believe that when you pray to God and you ask him, that loving God, the one you have a genuine relationship with you and, and he, you, you knew he heard your prayer. You didn't have to rely on no owl, W.L. sitting in a tree responding. You waited, did you? Well, how do you really know what's going on in your life? 
that the secular definition of a soulmate is defined as a person ideally suited to another as a close friend or romantic partner. You know, it's kind of like before you become husband and wife, wife and husband, you were boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, were you not? Or were you like the individual who was sharing that he went on a date? A blind date at that. And he said he would have asked his future wife to marry him that night on that first date. But he didn't want her to think that he was in her. According to the Oxford Dictionary, you could think of soulmates as people cut from the same energetic as you. Soulmate is often used to describe a strong connection between two people that can be romantic partners, but that's not always the case. Your love for each other is unconditional, is it? Unconditional love can raise some red flags when we're talking about toxic relationships and enabling or repeating negative relationship patterns. But in the case of a soulmate, it's a beautiful gift two people can offer each other. Have you been doing that in that relationship since you got this soulmate or that life? Well, have you? Have they you? Because true soulmates on that, you know, they're not going to give you that kind of toxicity that's going to make unconditional love questionable in your relationship. And you already know it's a love for each other that exists beyond the bounds of time, distance, or circumstances. And in order to get there, you have to have some type of deep level of patience, is you not? And so you recognize that the best relationship is going to push you to grow in ways that you never imagined possible because that person's in your life and you're there. Trying to teach each other, are you? You sure? You're not trying to take away from each other, are you? You're encouraging each other, are you not? And you recognize when you came together, there was a reason not to take away from each other, but to build each other up, not ego. You're supporting each other. You're each other's cheerleader. Somebody in your life always in your corner. You're talking about that person that you know was destined to be in your path. You prayed about them, not P-R-E-Y-E-D. And both of you have given each other love and encouragement when needed so that you can keep going while it's a journey down here on earth. And when you really think of a lifetime partner, you're still talking about an intimate relationship between two individuals. Has that been you? Is it you now in your relationship? And if not, what happened? Because you're talking about a bond by which both of you were involved in a relational commitment. And since you were committed, you're still in it. Irrespective when it's raining, the challenges of your faith, you know it's true. You know, there was a survey. It said that the share of adults who have lived with a romantic partners is now higher than the share who have ever been married. 
and that married adults are more satisfied with the relationship, more trusting of their partners. And as more United States adults are delaying marriage or we're going it all together, the share who have ever lived with an unmarried partner has been on the rise. And it indicated that most Americans, if you're not in the United States, then you know it's not applicable to your country, but you know it's interesting to find out what's going on in your country. But the survey said that most Americans find cohabitation acceptable even for couples who don't plan to get married, according to a new Pew Research Center survey. And even so, a narrow majority says society is better off if couples in long-term relationships eventually get married. The survey also examined how adults who are married and those who are living with an unmarried partner are experiencing their relationship. It finds that married adults are more satisfied with their relationship or more trusting of their partners. We're still talking about trust. You know, that's all I talk about is trust. Relational building, upbuilding. The survey continued that the share of U.S. adults who are currently married has declined modestly in recent decades. Did you hear that? I know you did. And if you have a chance, go and look up National Survey of Family Growth to see how far the decline has occurred. It said young adults are particularly accepting of cohabiting. Percent of those ages 18 to 29 says it's acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together even if they don't plan to get married. But majorities across age groups share this view. Still, even among those younger than 30, a substantial share, 45%, says society it's better off if couples who want to stay together long-term eventually get married. Roughly half of those ages 30 to 40 say the same as do majority of those age 50 and older. The views about marriage and cohabiting are also linked to religious affiliation. Protestants who do not self-identify as born-again or evangelical, 76%. Say it's acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together, even if they don't plan to get married. By contrast, only 47% of black Protestants and 35% of white evangelical Protestants share this view. And while half or more across these groups say society is better off, if couples who want to stay together long term eventually get married, white evangelicals are the most likely to say this. 78% do so. Among those who are not religiously affiliated, 59 or 9 and 10 say cohabiting is acceptable even if a couple doesn't plan to get married. 31% say society is better off if couples who want to stay together eventually get married. The survey continues. Married adults have higher levels of relationship satisfaction and trust than those living with an unmarried partner. Now, I know you had a chance to take all that in. I know you did. You're pondering it. You went by that pond of water. You prayed with your eyes open, you know, whether the physical eyes or the mind. 
You know what you wanted and needed in your life. But what does the Bible say? You know I was going to get this. For the believer of the household of faith, who's following the word of God for their life. Well, chapter 2 of Genesis, I know you wrote it down, is a story of marriage being God's invention. Now listen, take your darts or whatever weapon you're going to use, including your lips and your eyeballs, cast them toward me. You want to cast them toward God? You know, the one who created you. I know, I know, that's what you said. But you know what? Even a watch, W-A-T-C-H, had a creator. But I knew you knew that. But God intended this long life, lifelong, exclusive union between a man and a woman to become the foundation upon which a family is built. This first of all human relationships goes all the way back to creation, where it indicates when you look at chapter 2 that God placed a solitary human male in a garden that would supply his every physical need, yet his evaluation was, in effect, he still has a need. So the creator said, I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Notice the two words in particular, helper and suitable. You see, the Word of God is letting us know that Adam needed a helper. All right, all right. I know, I know it's coming all out of your lips, your eyeballs, your hairs, all of that. And you're doing it because you're hearing about the English word helper. So let's look at it from the Hebrew grammar. Because helper sounds mean, you know, even a little pathetic. We think of one person having the knowledge and skill to accomplish the task while the helper merely makes the job easier. But that's not how the Hebrews used it. Let me repeat. That's not how the Hebrews used it. So, guys, who's twisting the scripture, or ladies who are twisting the scripture, and you got to remember, the word also talks about how that God is going to address those who are adding on and taking away. But the word easer, E-Z-E-R, has the idea of supplying something crucial that is lacking to God. Psalm chapter 30, verse 10. Psalm chapter 54, verse 4. Understand, a man is not complete without the lady. You said... I know, guys. I know you. I, I know it's coming out of your ear bones too. Your your eyebrows, your nose, all of that. For in the Hebrew mind, is anything but menial. God saw Adam and determined that something crucial was missing. Humankind was incomplete. His aloneness was not good, and we know from Genesis one that humans were to multiply and fill the earth and rule over it. Adam was made for a purpose that he could not fulfill by himself. You know, remember the song of life was to be sung as a duet in harmony, but Adam was only one voice. So his solo wouldn't cut it in life. And furthermore, as you continue on to see, 
only the right kind of voice would suffice. Do you notice that the helper must be a suitable helper? Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that the type of person you've gone out by that pond of water to pray about specifically? Remember, we've gone through and we'll go through 99 characters. Where you've learned that when you've gone to God specifically, you didn't ask God, oh, God, send me somebody that won't help me, won't comfort me, won't love me, won't be honest with me, won't be for real, won't be genuine. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. You know you didn't. So, again, notice that the helper must be a suitable helper or more literally one according to his opposite or one corresponding to him. The second human creation would have to be a very different being than any that have been created. So God created the woman from Adam's rib of Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. And once Adam recovered from surgery, do you notice he opened his eyes and saw the woman? And when you get into it, you notice that the Hebrew is emphatic so that his first word should be translated now, finally, at last. Do you notice how she perfectly complimented his every strength and weakness the way no other creature could? Men, 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 men. Do you notice the ladies that you prayed for, not P-R-E-Y-E-D? Do you notice that the ladies that you pursued that's in your life? Yeah, you may have gone through 99, but you found the one. Do you notice she knows all about you, your, your weaknesses and your strengths? Do you notice that? You sure? Because Adam was able to declare, this is now a bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. And that's the basis for a Hebrew expression describing closeness, oneness, intimacy. It's communicating that she is the fulfillment of everything that he desired. And having seen every other creature that God had made, Adam was in a good position to know, not guess. And see, you're looking at it in Genesis playing out in that idyllic setting because you're looking at a genuine love story. You don't like the one you started off with. Remember, you ran and told your girlfriend, guy friend, girlfriend, guy friend, your, your relatives, everybody you can find. Remember, you even signed up at NASA, NASA, and, and whatever spaceship that was going out of space because you was going to find somebody to tell them about the love that you just found in your life. You know, your soulmate your lifetime partner, but Adam and Eve, before the fall, were our role models. They were our models. And come on, guys, this is like you just heard me say, it's a pick for you too, ladies. But guys, just like you heard me say about the ladies, remember today, she may feel all good about you, have you on all on top of a pedestal, Tomorrow, you may do something. Oh, you're on the ground now, brother. You know it's true. We hear you talking about Adam and Eve. They had a pure, uninhibited, unselfish, blissful union. 
they enjoyed each other because they were made for each other. There were no barriers, no issues, no awkwardness, no hang-ups, no distrust, just intimacy. How about in your life? So you see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 through 25, it's explaining why a man leaves his father and mother and he's joined to his wife. And the two now are united into one. Remember, the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no shame as I take a sip of my coffee. I know you thought I was going to say what. But when you, again, look at those two short verses. Do you notice the essential principles that hold a relationship together, a marriage? Do you notice that every marriage, I know yours do, for? And if you're going through some challenges, some struggles, one may be missing or distorted. Do you have severance? You know, like we're looking at in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Severance means that a man and woman switch their primary allegiance from their parents to each other. And that doesn't mean that a couple can or you shouldn't accept help from your parents. And it doesn't mean that your parents are being ignored by you or you or you or disrespected. But it means that the new husband and wife no longer look to mom and dad to have their needs met if they were two parents or whoever's been meeting your needs. Now you're looking to each other. You're putting each other first. Unless both deliberately leave your old family, then your relationship, your marriage relationship, is not going to be able to succeed. Think about it. And you know it's true. And is there any permanence in there? Because the Hebrew word for join in verse 24, do you know how woodwork and glue work? Have you ever looked at that? The glue fuses two pieces of wood together so permanently that when stressed, the wood splinters and snaps before breaking the bond. And when you go back into the Old Testament and look at Ruth, you see how she used the same word when pledging her devotion to Naomi? Do you see how join describes absolute devotion and loyalty? Do you notice how It describes uncompromising affection and love. And I'm not talking about codependency. I'm talking about two healthy, emotionally strong people who choose to stick together no matter what. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, took it a step further than Moses. He said in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, let no one, no one split apart with God has joined together. Are you allowing who? to come between your relationship that you prayed for. But what if you're beyond that first relationship, that marriage? Maybe you've been involved in several and it didn't work out. We're talking about 2024 now and where you go from here, not the past, the past. 
But you got to apply this to the relationship right now that you have, that marriage relationship you have now. Because you want to determine that that relationship is going to be permanent. Because God has joined you. Let no one and let nothing separate you. You know, this upcoming Sunday, Lord willing. In the morning, I'm going to talk about the intellect and emotions. But in the evening, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 and so forth, have a guest on, Chris D. Boys. We're going to talk about dating, where we're talking about exact date, where we're discussing tonight. And is there any unity in that relationship? You know, because the word Moses used in verse 24 indicates a complex unity, not a melding of two personalities to form one, you know, clone. The two individuals living and working in concert with common values and shared goals, you know, partners. Because you're talking about unity. You know, remember now, unity is diversity brought into harmony. And when this verse is misapplied, one partner controls the other. One partner controls the other. And the controlling one doesn't give the other room to be themselves, is that you? Because you know through it all, we're talking about also intimacy. You know, that's when that marriage garden is in full bloom. You know, the husband and wife, wife and husband, you're enjoying that exclusive privilege, knowledge of each other, and ultimately Intimacy is the grand prize. You know it is the reward. <laughs> I remember, remember uh, <laughs> my son's mom and I married a teenager. And um, I think I was maybe 13 or 14. And I was over this guy's house and we were shooting pool, P-O-O-L. <laughs> And um, she gave me her number, you know, um, and uh, I called her. And she asked me a direct question that I could not answer. I should have. I can answer it now, but I couldn't then. That's me keeping it real. Men, all you want from me is my Garden of Eden. Now, I know you understand. Grand prize. Is that all you want from that lady in your life, man? Is that all you want, ladies, of that men in your life? The man and woman, woman and man in Genesis were naked, and they were not ashamed. And neither one of them thought of covering anything because they had no self-consciousness, no shame, no of being ridiculed, no hang-ups or embarrassment, no emotional hurts. Think about that. Each of them was entirely focused on the delight and pleasure of the other. Both of them enjoyed a free-flowing intimacy uninhibited by self-interest, and the sexual union must have been more pleasant and fulfilling than anything you and I could ever imagine. But I also want to issue a warning. Warning. That the Word of God lets us know we have three enemies. By the time we, as believers of the household of faith, forget about the devil, demonic forces. But Satan is well aware of the necessity of these biblical principles, and he's going to do everything to strip you 
and your relationship. Remember, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, girlfriend and boyfriend before you became husband and wife, wife and husband. He's going to do everything to strip your marriage of them. That one deadly poison that is killing believers of the household of faith today in their relationship. Pornography, you know, is true. But wait a minute, it's 2024. There's healing and there's hope. Have you reached out for hope? Why not? Put that pride aside. Obey God. Because you can be free from those bondages. And you got to take measures to safeguard you and your family and take time to Look carefully for other ways that the enemy may be dividing you. And since it's coming up next week, Forever Valentine. She is still your Forever Valentine if you're not, you pray for. He is still your Forever Valentine, is he not? You pray for him. But our loving God, you got to remember it's the master gardener who intends all relationships from a marriage standpoint, to thrive. But you got to be willing to dig out the weeds, W-E-E-D-S. And I'm not talking about no marijuana. You got to do the work. Because God has given you by his grace, his grace through your commitment, a thriving marriage garden. There was a, um, a couple, and uh, the guy, told the lady, I love you so much. I climbed the highest mountain for you. I don't know how she felt inside. I don't know what past relationship she had. I don't know her hurts and wounds or his. But she has some girlfriends around her. You know girlfriends or do you? So she ran and told him. She didn't walk. She ran and told his girlfriend. They were like, he's lying. But there was one that didn't think so. So she defended him. No, he's not. Because he's afraid to go upward and height. Next time, the guy told her, I love you so much. Not only will I climb the highest mountain for you, but I swim the deepest ocean. Now, she took a helicopter to go tell her friend. They said, girl, he is lying. But one, no, he's not. And she liked that. But she didn't tell the other girls or the one telling the story about it. But you know, friends, or do you? So finally, he says to her, I love you so much. Not only will I climb the highest mountain for you, swim the deepest ocean just for you. Now, you know, or do you? How she was feeling inside. Or maybe the lady was telling this guy. But it happened to be a guy telling the lady. He said, I'm going to come see you on Wednesday if it doesn't rain. Say what? Now, she didn't take no helicopter to go tell her friends that. But she did. And they said, girl, we told you he was lying. But the one who secretly was liking what he was saying, well, she didn't have to reveal herself. 
she didn't have to reveal herself. When you go back by that pond of water, make sure you're in the right relationship with God. Pray specifically for that person that you want and need in your life who needs you. Be specific. Be specific. You think our loving God who we trust, remember the words of the song when we started? It's going to let you down. You know he's not. An example that I hope you really ponder while out here meeting individuals, dropping your guard, putting your trust in, irrespective of the title, irrespective of the materialism, the zip code, all of that. And if they don't know the God you're serving, and if they're not in the right relationship with him, what do you expect? But all my life, I dreamed of someone like you, a model, female model, 19. She posted this heartwarming message to a possessive soldier boyfriend on Facebook days before he stabbed her 24 times and stuffed her precious dead body in a suitcase. Never underestimate the power of prayer. When you pray, God gives you strength, courage, comfort, and hope. Keep praying. Keep praying. Nothing can put out fire, love. Not not my love. Not many waters. Your love is so so sweet and pure. Your bright eyes has made my heart beat harder. I believe you will. You said that you love me. I know it's true.
Thank you. 